Okay, so this this is going to be an interesting one, honestly. Um, and I'll tell you why it's interesting in a second. Uh, let's play the music. So, I said to you several episodes ago that it was going to be several episodes in a row that were authors talking about their books. And you have heard two such episodes, and I do have another one scheduled. But what happened is, the schedule just didn't work out that way, so the first one happened, and then I had this the episode with... Um, with Emily Davis Hale that just happened to come after that so whatever uh, and then I had another uh, author episode and now I have this one with this conversation with Sianna Hegwood and we'll talk about who she is in a second but my, I was supposed to have another author episode before this but that person was unwell and so we pushed it back a little bit I'm still recording with her next week um, so that'll be the next episode and then I do have another book that someone sent me that I'm going to record that episode in July because the book isn't coming out until August so I, you know I'm glad that people find this to be a valuable place to to come and talk about their work. Um, and uh, the person, so like Emily Davis Hale, like talking about their podcast. Sure, if you have any work that you want to talk about, like I think if you listen to this show, the the couple of hundred of you who listen regularly and the couple of hundred who d- dip in and out, um, you know I'll talk about most things if I find it interesting. So if you have any work that's related to race, whiteness, disability, intelligence, language, come on. Bring it. Um, so today, this person, this is going to be more about uh, the brain stuff, right? Similar to that episode where I talked with Dr. Laura Bustamante about uh, decision-making and neurodivergence. This is going to be more about mental health, mental illness. Um, talking to Sianna Hegwood. Now, Sianna Hegwood has not finished her doctoral degree. In fact, she's about to start it. Um, but she's already spent time working in research labs and in re- on research projects related to uh, basically black access to mental health or lack of access to mental health. And I'm going to ask her about sort of how she got into that, why she's interested in some of the things she really wants to study in her degree. It's interesting to me to sort of look at people in an earlier stage of things and and sort of ask them about things. So that's what we're going to talk about. I met her in a very interesting way. I mean, yes, Twitter, I meet a lot of these people on Twitter, but it wasn't just random on Twitter. And, you know, we would have ended up having a more direct professional relationship, but for reasons I'll explain, uh, it didn't work out. So I said, well, let's stay in academic connection. And so she's coming on the show tomorrow. Well, you're going to hear it in 15 seconds, but uh, I will be recording her part tomorrow. Anyway, thanks for being part of the show. Thanks for listening. If you want to support the show on Patreon, the link's in the show notes. If you want to buy my book, uh, the link is also in the show notes. And yeah, so on to the discussion with Sianna Hegwood. Hey, brief thing here. Um, the beginning of this got cut off. I don't know, technology. Let me just say, Sianna Hegwood is an incoming PhD student at the UC Irvine, and she has thus far worked on research teams that have studied uh, black access or difficulty to accessing and diagnoses and so forth with mental health care, particularly schizophrenia. She's talked about um, how she's seen it in her family, and she really wants to ensure early detection and other things related to that. Okay. So, on to the conversation in media arrests. Do you have 
double the risk, essentially. So that was something that was super cool. What I would want to do, you know, this is my lab and I can take over and, you know, things like that. I really want to look at minority status. That would have been one of my goals and probably a future direction of that specific um, study um, would be to look at minority status as a risk factor in addition to those and see if this idea of like cumulative risk um, is so true in um, association to these three constructs. And so that that was one of the projects I worked on. Um, and then in a completely different lab, I was working on dissemination work. So um, understanding how those from at-risk communities perceive health information. So ultimately, we're looking at, you know, as me, as like a Black woman, how do I perceive this information? How does someone who is a young adult, um, who may also be a minority, perceive this health information, especially when we understand that minorities tend to have distrust with the health system, um, with overarching power systems. Um, so we were trying to gauge what's the best way for us to communicate, you know, research to these folks. And ultimately we found that, you know, throwing facts at people, <laughs> throwing heavy jargon information helps no one. It really doesn't. Um, but ultimately getting down to a level of like, helping the individual understand why it's important for them, understanding it in their context, and also having people giving the information that look like them. I think that ultimately that's something that we learned that was really huge, um, especially when we talk about access and making sure that people are understanding, you know, understanding their health and understanding the information that is being put on the public. Also how to how to vet what's good information and bad information, um, because the internet just exposes, especially teens and adolescents, exposes them to a whole range of different things. So teaching them of like what, what is good media and what is bad media and who to be skeptical of and who not to be. And so, yeah, that's kind of. You said a lot of things there. I want to sort of pick up on a bunch of them and, and we can probably okay. take through the whole conversation there. One of the things that to, sort of the beginning and the end of what you said about the sort of overlap or potential overlap, right? And then at the end, sort of the media thing, right? Is that like, um, there's only so many ways that humans behave, mm -hmm. right? Like the brain could be doing 9,000 different things, <laughs> yeah. but ultimately it manifests in like, Oh, maybe you punch somebody. Like, like that's it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And it's just like, there's only so, on the outside, there's only so many ways. Yeah. Right. And then especially for people of color, not just, but especially very rarely am I 11 years old. And I'm like, I think I would I'd like to see if maybe I have schizophrenia. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, exactly. you know, and why would you? Because also since it doesn't usually come about until later, but still, um, even, and then of course, even with childhood trauma, you're not like, hmm, I wonder what impacts of childhood trauma there are while you're still a child. Like, you're not, you're, you're just dealing <laughs> exactly. with it, right? Exactly. So, generally, especially for people of color, but not just for people of color, you don't get any kind of valuation regardless, unless something exactly. happens. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, exactly. it's the kind of thing where you're very rarely going to be proactive. And this is true for even less serious things, right, that aren't necessarily harmful to people, just in the sense of, like, it's true with autism, ADHD, and so forth, in the sense that, like, it's not, again, it's not quite the same, but it's similar in that they only ask, they only evaluate you when you can't do something. Yes, exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. On the other hand, because there are positives, you know, and, you know, it's changing a little bit the discussion. So one of the things I want to bring up with the media is that, like, on um, the 
I watched this guy on YouTube. He's a therapist, right? Or a psychologist. <laughs> um, and he goes over sort of overlaps and he was talking about childhood trauma and ADHD, right? <laughs> and he was saying, he made a little Venn diagram, right? <laughs> and he talked about which symptoms are one, which symptoms are the other, which symptoms could be both, right? Yeah. And, you know, he's saying that's just what makes it so hard to get an evaluation is because, first of all, the symptoms could be the same. And I know this isn't the same as schizophrenia. I'm just giving an example of good media, right? Um, yes. But also, like, the things that we think of as scary, like schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder and stuff like that, could be actually childhood trauma. But then, of course, you could have a higher chance of having childhood trauma if you're struggling through these things and, and, and so forth. And then, you know, if the only reason you get an evaluation is because you did something, then they're not going to yes. be compassionate and send you to a credible messenger, right? They're going to send yes. you to somebody <laughs> who's there to discipline you. Yes, um, yes. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, yeah, there's a lot in there because I think that's what's, and especially because you talk to college students, right? And yes. generally speaking, college students, if they're on the campus, do have access to service. Exactly. Which is mm-hmm. why it's useful to study there, right? I knew someone who I went to college with, and and, and it's just it was a shame because it didn't really happen until he was out, you know? Yes, exactly. Um, and now he's in jail. So, you know. It's oh, just, no, wait. <laughs> go back turn. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, it, it did not go well for him. Um, but, like, cause he, was already, he was out working, and then things started to go wrong. Um, uh, I see, I see. But, like, but, yeah. So, anyway, those are a lot of the things. Yeah, and I think that, I don't know, like, I kind of want to piggyback off of, like, what you were talking about. And I think a lot of this, you know, when we think about, you know, being a child and experiencing trauma and, um as a parent recognizing, or it might not even be you recognizing that, you know, this is an issue. It might be when they go to school and, they, you know, they're not performing at a certain level or something. And then that's when they're like, oh, well, you, you probably should get this evaluated. And then we start to consider, you know, this is truly like a generational issue. It's an issue where because knowledge has not been passed on for generations, it's harder for some groups of people to even recognize what is occurring. Um, And so, a lot of times I feel like we have um, we're like the community is like gated and they're limited to these the access to of information that's actually going to help them. Or they might be hesitant because of past experiences of what could help them. Um, and then we have the denial phase as well, which is like my child would never and they don't. And that's just not going to happen. Um, so which also ultimately just hinders the child and can lead to higher risks for other things in developing. Um, things in the future but also you talked about comorbidity and so another issue is I mean even in research is that you know those who are minorities these scales these tests these evaluations that we have are not made for us um <laughs> they're primarily made on white samples which is honestly that's what's available unfortunately but it's how are we going to work harder to get the right people in the room? Because the people that are being affected at a significant rate are those who are not white. And so I think it becomes an issue where, I mean, we get misdiagnosed. People get misdiagnosed all the time, especially those who are, you know, who identify as being minoritized individuals. Like, um, I know that speaking of schizophrenia, like I know that the comorbidity between bipolar disorder and schizophrenia, very, very similar overlaps. Um, 
But also, too, the experience and the environment of someone who might be minoritized is completely different from someone who may identify as being white. And if these scales are based upon those who are white, then we're getting those misdiagnoses. So, for example, I know a big um, example in our community is looking at paranoia, which is a symptom of schizophrenia, and understanding that, like, you know, um, if I am an individual um, and I may not live in the safest neighborhood and I'm, I'm telling my therapist or my psychologist, I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe. They might then associate that with, oh, you're paranoid. You're paranoid. So you must have schizophrenia or a similar disorder. So instead of recognizing that that is a true environmental difference, that is an experience that that individual is, is experiencing. So it's, there's just like so many so many issues there and and just that and why we need you know minority samples why we need to get people of color in the room and I think to start with just doing that and ultimately helping them to understand you know that like not all researchers are bad like and two ultimately understanding how and what you want to be involved in to help your community um and so yeah there's there's so many different avenues that you can go, go with that conversation the um, the thing about what you just said, like I think about an example for me, and obviously I, I don't have schizophrenia, but I'm talking about the ADHD, and which it leads to, which I didn't know I had, and leads to <laughs> a lot of like social issues because, like a lot of neurodivergence, you don't, you just like, you're like off the beat socially, mm-hmm. right? You know, like I, it's like it's like you're clapping, clapping on the wrong beat. Right, yeah. you know, and you're trying, right? Which I cannot relate to as far as dancing. I do have rhythm, but yeah, I don't have social <laughs> rhythm, except for with the people who know me very well, and then I don't have to try, and then it works. But it took me a long time to figure that out. So, like in college, I started to feel like these people are talking behind my back. Mm-hmm. They're talking behind my back, right? I didn't want to tell anybody that because I knew it sounded like I was being paranoid. I said, "Keep talking yeah. behind my back. They're talking. They're talking shit about me, right?" Yeah, <laughs> they were. They were. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was right. And, yeah. You know, not everybody, but like, I was just like, I've always, you know, I'd always be like, these people, they're saying things about me behind my back, whatever. First of all, the the thing about talking about, like, literally everyone's talking about behind people's back. So that by itself, it doesn't mean anything, yeah. but it's when it's malicious yeah. is when, when they're trying to do something yeah. with it, right? Obviously, me and you have a conversation that you can go tell your friend you had a conversation with me. Like, that's not bad, yeah, right? Exactly. So like, but it's like, you know, they're, they're doing this and they're doing it on purpose, right? And then, like, I found out at my senior year that they really were. Like, wow. I, like I found out a couple of years later that they had been doing stuff. Like, there was, like, a targeted thing going on. And I'm just That's like, so right? And, like, I was just like, no, again, what happened? I graduated, whatever. It, it messed me up for a while in the sense that I, I, was, I, get, I get very suspicious socially, right, of mm-hmm. new people. These days, I have a lot more confidence where I'm just like, I don't expect necessarily to get along with everybody, but if they don't, I'm right. just like, whatever. Like, it doesn't bother me. I just move on. Whereas back then, it really bothered me, and I was a lot less confident. But the point is, what if, if your paranoia is right one time, <laughs> <laughs> right, then right. it's really hard to disabuse yourself of that notion going forward. And, exactly. like, if you have yeah. a, something with delusions or whatever – they could be wild, but like that doesn't mean that you never see anything that's true. Exactly. 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 And if it had been a different thing I was scared of, right? Uh, 
and then I really went to talk to someone at school, I don't know what would have happened, right? I wasn't going to go talk to a doctor because I thought people were talking about my back, right? Mm -hmm. But it could have been a different thing that I was right about. Could have been. Exactly. I don't know. Exactly. Um, (laughs) And I'm just one, I think a lot now after the diagnosis and the first of figuring myself out, I think a lot now about like what would have happened had it manifested slightly differently and at mm. slightly different times and, you know, if things had been just 2% different in some direction, right? And I know that I right. certainly had certain privileges that if things had gone a certain way, I would have been able to get some sort of services, but because I didn't have the ADHD diagnosis, like, what services would I have gotten? It still would have been exactly. like, what's wrong with him? Um, exactly. And I still thought there were things that were wrong with me. And again, that's the best case scenario because I figured it out eventually. If I was in a different yeah. situation, like, so when you think about people, because I have a friend who's been diagnosed, right? And mm-hmm. he, you know, his life is a challenge because he's on all these medications and that makes certain things yeah. hard for him. Yes. Um, he's white though, so he's fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Like, yeah. He's able to live with, he's able to live with his parent, parent, his parents. Um, and he works and, you know, if something would happen to his parents, he would just continue to live there. Like he doesn't need, care in that sense of like he goes goes doctors but he doesn't need like a nurse or anything like that um and like I know his life has been hard but like he graduated from college and like it took him a little while but he did like you know and he he works and there are things he's good at and and he's able to do them and you know I he definitely has a lot of certain types of paranoia but some of his paranoia I'm just like yeah okay that makes sense you know right like he was (laughs) <laughs> you know, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, you know, people could stand to be a little bit more worried about that. <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely, and I, and I get that. And I think that, I think that one of the things that the world like stereotypes about individuals who, you know, are diagnosed with, or whether it's schizophrenia or anything, is that like they're debilitated. And that's not necessarily the case. And for me, who, you know, I have, you know, family members, like four generations worth of uh, individuals who have been diagnosed with schizophrenia. And I mean, outside of them experiencing an episode, like are fully functioning, fully functioning individuals to where like, I mean, me knowing them, I know, and I pick up on certain things, but maybe to the public, I mean, there may be skepticism about that seems a little, you know, different. Like, I don't know why they would do that. But to me, I, I recognize them as I know they have they, I know they have this experience, um, and so therefore, I will do things accordingly. But the the world doesn't see those things. They see, oh, this person is doing this action that's weird. Like, why are they doing that? And I think that we have to be careful too to make sure that when you see someone that is doing something that is not normal, or you see someone that, well, what you would classify as being normal, to not to not judge, to not point fingers and things like that, because you just never know. Like the verge of which someone is on, especially with someone like experiencing schizophrenia, like there are breaks, like there are situations in which episodes happen. And I think that we could all be a little kinder as a society and a public to recognize that like we're all dealing with something different. Um, and then you touched on something that I was thinking of, you were talking about like your timeline and then like you figuring out like, you know, when you had, you know, ADHD and, it just made me think about the fact of like why early detection to a lot of things is just like super, super important. Um, we're talking about like even whether it's mental illness or anything, whatever it may be, um, early detection is so key. I feel like, but also that goes back to, you know, 
sometimes it's lack of access, lack of knowledge, um, and recognizing what is normal. Also, the denial, like denial stage of things. Because I think a lot of times we see these behaviors and we're like, hmm, like, or our parents, they see them and they're like, hmm, like, I wonder, but never go do the things to to ensure, like, is this is this real? What is this? Um, and so I think that it's so, so important to start looking at that, which is why I'm more interested in looking at risk factors, like um, whether someone's environment, whether it's there something genetically that puts them at a higher risk. These are things that need to be known because a lot of these things, well, at least for mental illness, like you can delay onset, you can delay these things. Um, and so to be able to do that would be like super, super important, at least for me. And when I think of like longevity of like my family members and, you know, individuals in my life that have schizophrenia, I just think about, you know, how this could have been prevented. Um, and it sucks too, because like, I mean, once they figured out again, it was, it wasn't until they realized something was wrong, like we talked about earlier that like, they're like, Oh, you need to send them or it was something drastic that it sent them to get evaluated. Um, and unfortunately that was, you know, the diagnosis, but ultimately there's just like so much we can do beforehand. Um, and I know that people talk about medication, medicating people with mental illness is something that I genuinely am very, um, there's other options. Yes. There are other options. Um, Ultimately, throwing medications at people is a lazy job, in my opinion. Um, it's a lazy job. It, and we could talk about, too, how they just don't have good interventions for, you know, most people. They just don't. The interventions aren't the best, but they're developing, and that's good. But also, the medications bec- make make these individuals become less human is what I how I see it. Um, and in many ways, I feel like it debilitates them from who they are. Um, and I think there was like a research study that came out that was talking about how um, instead of telling someone with severe mental illness that like, you know, you're not experiencing those things, trying to divert them from what they, you know, really know is real in reality um, and trying to normalize them. But to push them towards acceptance of what they have, their symptoms lessen. it, like recognizing that you have something, learning how to live with it and to be the best version of yourself is ultimately the best way. But throwing medications and creating couch potatoes of people is just not ultimately the right answer. Yeah, I think I'm going to mention two things. It's like I take take a very low level antidepressant, and to me, it, it's such a low level that it's more like just to take the very edge of the fire off. Mm-hmm. Um. Because at a certain point, like, I'm just, like, white-knuckling everything. It doesn't, right? But, obviously, I was in the position where most things were going well for me. And -hmm. it was, like, the last piece of the puzzle, right? Yeah. Um, And I I have no idea how much it's doing and whether it's a placebo effect. (laughs) Because I just, like, because I'm just, like, I'm, like, this should should help. And then things got better. But, like, you know. but a lot of it is that because of that, they're expecting medication to do everything, so they give them such high doses that they can't, right? If it's just like, yeah. I'm going to change one small thing, then it's like any health thing, right? You know, like if you take acne medication, it's not going to be like, I used to be like, I'm going to try to do it myself. Just take the pills. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> but like, uh, so there's that. One of the things that I've thought about is that I wish, and I don't know how to socialize this, right? I'm not a, 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 um, Science research. Well, no, education is a social science, but I'm not a, a, a biological, you know what I mean, researcher. 
But yeah. What I wish we could do, uh, we talk about these things within the community, in the neurodivergent community, but same whatever, is like, for these things, what are the things that we can do that other people can't do? Right. right. Because I wonder right. if there are ways to detect things more easily um, instead of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. 100%. Like, that doesn't mean that one comes before the other. I, I, that's not how things work, right? Um, yeah. But, like, I, for, for me, it was definitely, like, looking back, the things that were true of my brain in the good ways were true before the bad ways. Mm, yes. Because most of the, and this is the same thing you said, most of the things that would render me, quote, unquote, disabled, right, are because mm-hmm. of the way the world is around me. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were having delusions, well, that's a problem per se, but it's the it's a problem because of how you interact with the people afterwards. Exactly. You exactly. have the delusions, you don't <laughs> yeah. do anything. Well, okay, yeah. you're having a nice little time in your head, you know. But yeah, like, exactly. it's the problem is that you're having the delusions on you know on on a in a car or something, you know, or in a, in a, at a bad time, right? And then you, exactly. you know your interactions with other people, uh, because like for me, I know like. I tell these people a story a lot, and I had chicken pops when I was four, mm-hmm. like a lot of people, so I couldn't go to school, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, I was itchy, but I wasn't really sick, yeah. so I just memorized all the stops on the subway, and it's just like, <laughs> I still know all the stops on the subway, right? My mom used, until she figured out how to use the app, my mom would still call me, like, how do I get from here to here? Even when I wasn't wow. even in New York, when I was in college and I was in, like, in South Korea, she'd be like, Justin, how do I get from here to here? Um, and I'm like, you have lived in New York for how many decades? How many years? She doesn't feel it now. But the point is, like, and I, I kind of enjoyed it because it meant it was, the, it was the, you know, I felt really, like, together. But the point is, when I started to struggle, it was because, you know, I was in a certain environment and people didn't really know how to deal with me. And I didn't struggle with my family. I didn't even think, you know, no. I don't know if I ever, if I never was, now I don't, this is not how life works, right? But if I'd never been in certain environments, would I ever even have gotten a diagnosis? I maybe never would have figured it out because there wouldn't have been all these issues. Exactly. That is, but then like what? I would have had to live in a hermetically sealed bubble for that to be true, right? Um, yeah. So there's that. And then I think about this representation and it's a bad, inaccurate movie. But... The way at the end of A Beautiful Mind where he's still looking at the delusions, but they're there, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they're not yep. affecting him. I think yep. that one thing, because like, it's inaccurate because the, the, this is just not what happened in his life. But like, exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> and, and also he was bisexual and they took that out and he was kind of a Nazi. So it's like, there's like, this, this stuff <laughs> is not, yeah. But that visual representation of the fact that he still sees the delusions walking in the courtyard and he accepts mm-hmm. that they're there. But yes. instead of trying to make them die and go away, it's like, it's hard to tell people that, like, if I accept that I'm sometimes going to be sad, then I don't really get as sad because the problem, it, when you get there, is like, oh, my God, it's the despair yes. rather than the sadness. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and, um, and how that, and then you just, oh, this is going to affect everybody else and so forth. So I think that accepting that, but that's what's hard is because to go back to the childhood trauma thing, Right. There are childhood traumas that have nothing to do with race, right? Mm-hmm. They may happen within certain groups, but I'm just saying, like, you know, someone's beating you or something that doesn't really have anything to do with who, 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 you know, your racial identity. Like, that's, that's exactly. just a problem. However, there are also racial traumas, right? Which could happen exactly. to you while you are a child. 
Exactly. And the mm-hmm. then, so it's like a childhood racial trauma, which, I mean, outside of your family, right? Something happens to you at the store or something happens to you at school or whatever, and or it happens persistently. Like, where does that fall in the diagram? Mm-hmm. Right. Is that, okay. you know, and if you are and I think about how traumatic it is just to exist in this world sometimes for us. And yeah. so is it any wonder when one of us is just not having a good time? Like that's exactly. not an excuse for certain behaviors, but it's still like it's 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 an explanation sometimes mm-hmm. and how do you just i don't and it's also impossible to completely disentangle all these things they're all happening to the same person right they're all in your head right you know right. they're all in exactly. one head you know you can't say well like like it like it's a math equation it's not a math equation it's not like exactly. a and then b and then c and then you had d it doesn't work that way if it did things would be a lot easier but exactly. like it's because and then when i go back to what i said at the beginning there's only so many ways that people can act, but there's so many possible causes thereof that it's just, you're still, even if we had all that, we're still guessing. We just don't have as educated of a guess as possible. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it's like also keeping into account like everything that it could be, you know, um, instead of just like narrowing in on this like one specific experience or concept of, of what's happening. It's like a bigger picture kind of thing. Um, and I kind of wanted to touch on even when you talk about how um, it just made me think about like from a treatment standpoint, even like individuals, everyone is different. Like we may have the same um, diagnosis or whatever it may be, but everyone is different. Everyone is going to experience this diagnosis differently because of their experiences. And I think to keep that into account, um, it just makes us all individuals makes us unique but also it's important it's important in terms of how I'm treated um I can't just be thrown some terrible treatment and I've never experienced this specific or it's not tangible for me so I think that and even when you talk about like the delusions and accepting it and um just operating life in a in a lens that's your own because I think that society tries to normalize that we all look through the same lens and we don't and I think that it's important for individuals to recognize that this is this is my lens and this is how I move through life and that should be acceptable. And I think that socially, again, we should be more acceptable of people like if someone is how you would quote unquote call different, like that is their own experience of life. Doesn't mean it's a less lesser quality of life or anything like that. It's just a different type of experience that should be accepted socially. Um and I think that just like acknowledging that, you know, you're having these experiences, you're moving through life, um, they may not be qualified as normal, but they are your reality and they are normal. But like make it a superpower, you know, type of thing, like excel through that. And it, that's what kind of what I thought about when you were talking about, like you memorized all the stops on the on the subway, which is like phenomenal. It's like turning what people would seem as like, oh, that's abnormal or like that shouldn't be happening. Um and starting to look at it as, wow, I have this quality that is one going to make me better. And there's other things that I can do with this. And this is really cool. And this is something that not everyone can do that. Like that's for certain. So it's, it's recognizing that we're all different people, but again, we all have layers and there's a little bit of everything. And I think life is a spectrum too. Like our experiences create a spectrum in which we may 
I don't know, you might have a little bit more childhood trauma or you may have some racial things in there, but not as much as someone else. But all that scale is so important to who you are. Um, and so as such, since everyone is different, I think it's accepting that, you know, my life may not look like someone else's and that's okay. And for me, their life is not my life and that's okay. Like, I think that that's something that's super important. And I think if we started to look at life in that lens, we'd be better off. Everyone would be. I think so. I'm going to make a metaphor here because I like doing that. And it's not going to work precisely because I know what I'm about to say. And I know people listening, not that there's that many people listening, but I know (laughs) people are going to point out, well, Justin, you know, so look, um, (laughs) we all talk about like the deficit mindset for for students in general, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, it, and it's been brought into sort of mental health stuff too, right? Especially yeah. for people of color and so forth. And the opposite of that is an asset-based based mindset, right? And mm-hmm. so that's not new. It's from like the 90s. Yes, um, exactly. <laughs> but I want to take it into sort of a financial realm. I want to think about like a balance sheet because on the balance sheet, your assets equal your liabilities and your shareholder equity. The shareholder's mm-hmm. equity thing does not work in the metaphor. <laughs> okay. No. Doesn't make any sense. I don't know what that would be. Right. But let's just say the assets and the liabilities. I think what we all should be striving for is to balance those things. Right. Yes. And in, or, or not just in ourselves, but to when we think of a condition to think about mm-hmm. The assets and the liabilities, because I think that is not to say, and I don't want to be, you know, patronizing, like if someone's in a situation where they're in like locked in syndrome, I'm like, well, you know, the benefits of that. And it's like, all right. Um, right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, there is a limit to my metaphor. But for people who are not in a place where they need, let's just say, round the clock care. Right. Um, I want uh, it should be the case that they have the balance and their life yes. isn't. And the thing is for them. Most they probably because they know their bodies and brains to some extent. Mm-hmm. I know they may not have the diagnosis, but they know how they work. To them, it probably is more of a balance. But it's I think the balance is tipped more towards liabilities because of the the way that society is constructed. Exactly. And then for certain people, it's tipped more towards assets. And mm-hmm. um, so I guess as, the metaphor still doesn't work because that's not how balance sheets work. But I'm still still going to write about this because this is the kind of thing that I think about. So, um, yeah, now I got to think about how to make the metaphor work. Um, But, like, yeah, because I think that every condition – I mean, it's also easy for me to say because my condition is not particularly debilitating, right? I mean, it can be. Right. I only think it can be when circumstances are different. It's not just, you know – it's not, I mean, yeah, I'm sure at some point you could look in there and look at the levels of dopamine or something or whatever, right? And, and I'm sure there's a number that's involved in these things. But I think that um, that's what we should be striving for. I, I don't want to act like um, there's some conditions that are all assets and some conditions that yeah. are all liabilities. That really shouldn't that's be true. the case. It's, it's more like, what do you even think when you hear it? You think that and you're like, oh, no. Right. This exactly. Cannot, you know, should not be employed or something or this person uh, cannot work with us. And I've been taking a risk of being a little bit more open about my ADHD since I uh, got the job that I have now, because they told me that they were being intentionally inclusive. I said, well, OK, let's see. And I really well, have see, yeah. that they, they have people with really different perspectives on things. Right. I mean, within a limit, because then honestly, the thing about being inclusive is that. If you include 
everybody, then you don't include people who upset people who are there. Right. Yeah. And one of the things that happened in my job and to be circumspect a little bit, because, you know, it's a job thing. Last year, we were in the process of completing a merger. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the other companies involved had a lot of the people were very sort of individual contributors. Right. They were like mm-hmm. salespeople. Right. Yeah. Which is fine. Um, mm-hmm. And they've been doing their job for a long time. And. What they believed is that to be sort of general, because what their job was, was to help put together loans for um, small businesses, which mm-hmm. is what they were doing, they mm-hmm. were sort of inherently supporting equality, right? Because the people, oh, wow. well, just because a, lot of, yeah. a lot of the people who were in small businesses, yeah. you know, were not wealthy, right? Because that's yeah. kind of the point, right? So, yeah, these, the people they were loan, lending to were not particularly wealthy, Um so that's not certainly not it's not a, not a bad thing to be doing. Like I'm not I'm not saying yeah, right, right. Yeah. But we as a as a company that sort of absorbed them have really specific values about, you mm-hmm. know, we try to really think about, you know, balancing out race and so forth. And they were just like, well, you know, who cares, right? And so exactly. a lot of them left. But uh ah. that's but you know, they'll be replaced by better people and they're already being replaced. But the point is that like, <laughs> you know, it it, it it's it's been interesting to me to read some of the content I see on like LinkedIn and stuff about ADHD. You don't see a lot of it um, because it's sort of ignored, right? Um, mm-hmm. And you know, it's made me think about. I don't want to just narrow it to ADHD. I want to think more about brains in general. Here is that the way yeah. my brain has worked, it has been the source of all of my successes and failures, mm-hmm. at least professionally and academically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Speaking professionally, like I look back every time something didn't go well at work. I look back after diagnosis. I'm like, okay, yeah, I see why that <laughs> happened. Right. And then sometimes I'm just like, sometimes that's something like, you know, I need to do better at that because that is a thing that like is simply an expectation of all jobs. Right. Certain things. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's like, you know, that's a skill like I just need to, focus on and then there's certain skills that are just just like I was getting trouble before they made no sense mm. when the when the pandemic came you know when they sent us all home my bosses at my last job told her, basically our job was to teach classes in person so we couldn't do that so we we're going to teach you know stuff online which is fine however because we worked with the city the city was a little slow in getting all their employees computers <laughs> So, okay. like, we had computers, but we couldn't teach classes to people who don't have computers. Mm-hmm. So for several months, we couldn't teach any classes. Wow. Right? So our bosses were a little scared that we, you know, maybe they'd cancel our contract or something. Now, we had signed a several-year contract. It was kind of ironclad. If they tried to cancel it, it would have been, like, a lawsuit. Right? But they were yeah. worried. And also, like, because there weren't any classes to teach, they just like, what do we, we don't have, what do we, what are we going to do? What do we do? <laughs> right? Because most of their job was working with the, the leadership of the city and the city was just busy for obvious reasons. Right. So basically they made us do a bunch of busy work. Right? Mm, because yeah. they basically were like, okay, well, there's this old um, class and we might be doing it again soon. So can you update it to 2020? Right? Because some of the, <laughs> you know, the, the manuals were always, you know, a little bit outdated because they were based on the most recent version of this, this, and this. Right. right? So they always had to be updated every so often. 
if this was something we did all the time, fine. Exactly. But because I knew that they were only forcing us to do this because they couldn't figure out what to make us do, it was really hard to focus on editing this 200-page document mm, and trying yep. to catch every error and so yep. forth, right? And, exactly. like, now, in that sense, I did screw up, but it's uh, it's not really a problem because, mm-hmm. like, not being all that great at busy work, and I mean busy work being my main thing. I'm not talking about, like, when I finish something, it needs to look nice. I don't mean that, but I mean like just yeah. literally like work being given to me for no reason. Yes. Like, That's not really a skill <laughs> I need. No, no one likes doing that ever. <laughs> and just right. And it's just that it's exacerbated for me because like I literally can't stay interested in it. Yeah. Right? Like and so and it's the thing, you need so much focus to stay interested in something like that. And that that's that is a genuine deficit I have. Yes. Right? I cannot control my level of focus. It can be very high or very low, and it's entirely whether or not I'm interested in the thing. Exactly. Yep. But what I have is a much better awareness of what I will be able to focus on. Mm-hmm. One th- and it, so it means that if it's something that I'm not going to be able to focus on, then I need to do it quickly before I run out of, run out of interest. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I, I definitely can see that. They, yeah. Um, they they gave us access to these financial classes and <laughs> you know for for work and and there there's like 19 classes and what? I was like wow that's a lot of classes and yeah said, we suggest that you do one class a week just so that you're not overloaded and I started doing these classes I said there is no way that I am still going to be interested in this in 19 weeks. So I did the whole thing in like two weeks. And I was just like, <laughs> well, it's just like, it's just every time I had a moment, um, you know, I, that's what I did. Yeah. And I think that too, it's just like recognizing that, like, I think that when we talk about like the job market or like even just a task in general, whether that be like school or whatever, I think recognizing what you call, you know, the um like the deficits or um is is really key then you know how to navigate and that's 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 important um and i think that's important for any type of individual with any type of condition whatever and that may be um we all in general there are things that we do significantly well there are things that we don't like and we all have deficits in something um and i think when we think about focus too um focus and like being passionate about what you're doing and then trying to focus on that, that's super easy, always going to be easy. But when you give us something that like really doesn't matter and feels so aimless um, without purpose, I think that ultimately as as humans, we just don't, we don't want to do that. Like (laughs) what is the purpose behind this? Um, And I think that also too, that goes into people who value time and things like that. Um, and I think both of us are those kind of people that value time and we're just thinking like, this is not worth my time. Like, so and then it becomes another layer to that and things. But even when I think of like, just like quality of jobs out there for those who, you know, may be open about, you know, their condition or what they're experiencing. Um, one, it's sad because I feel like because of the social world and the way that it's built, people just don't feel like people with different conditions can do the job which is not true, <laughs> which is not true at all. And in many ways, adding someone who may not be what you qualify as being 
qualified or ever based upon their condition, which is terrible, um, may be just what you need. Someone who is hyper-focused, you know, on things and can really pay attention to detail. And, like, those are things that are super important and super needed. Um, So I think that, again, that's a social aspect. That's something that an individual is up to them to see that and see that worth. Um, and so that's something that I thought was interesting about what you said. Um, and then also what you talked about, like the worst, the worst in terms of like liabilities and things like that, but worse for everyone is different depending on the condition. And I think that that's also something to, and that's something that you were talking about was the idea that, you know, there are some individuals who are experiencing different conditions that, um, may make them more debilitated than others. And that's just the reality of it. And there are some individuals. And I think that, like I said, all these things are on a spectrum, I feel like, because there's someone who could be, a like, have a diagnosis, but it's super low. It's a super low, and they can function. And, you know, obviously they have these things, but it doesn't truly affect their everyday life to an, a, deb- a debilitating point. So, I think that recognizing that worst is different for everyone is so good. But also you made me think about how um, for those who may experience a condition that is debilitating. So those who have to be in full-time care and things like that, I just like sometimes sit here and wonder to myself that if we, if we actually tried, like if we actually tried and say like, we didn't just spit diagnosis out at people. Um, if we actually tried and see what these people can do, like, you know, instead of just like writing them off because they have something that society doesn't deem as being normal or is not normalized. And actually, it's just the fact that society doesn't have enough knowledge or care to have knowledge about these conditions to see that, you know, again, I feel like sometimes these are superpowers, you know, um, and in different ways. So I sometimes wonder if those people who are in full-time care, if we actually assess, you know, like, what do they know? What do they care about? Like, I think that I would be interested to see what we find because I feel like society just writes them off. And that's, that's something that's like super sad to me. And I think I can wrap that back into talking about like even access to care. Like um, when we think about those who have these debilitating um, conditions, they get put into these care centers and let's say they're in a minoritized community as well that doesn't have the most money. Then we talk about quality. And then we're talking about who's there, who's in the room with you. Um, and that's something that, like, when I was doing my dissemination um, research, that that's something that we were kind of writing a paper about is, like, the quality of care. And um, in community mental health centers, like, it's terrible. One, these people aren't trained aren't trained effectively um it's hard to keep people employed so we have this staffing shortage which means that when you do get someone to to be thrown into the position um the amount of training they're getting isn't accurate or up to par but it should be to be taking care of these individuals and then furthermore if we're thinking about individuals that aren't particularly qualified to work there but are holding a space um they can't effectively do their jobs and then therefore are doing a disservice to the individual uh, and I guess that's kind of what I mean by, like, if we actually took time to care, care about those people um, who are experiencing this severe condition, we'd probably be surprised what we find and what they can do. Um, and I think that 
when we talk about the assets versus liabilities thing, like, again, every condition is different. Worse looks different for every single person. But, like, let's understand what worse is. Like, truly understand what worse is because no matter how worse it is, there has to be some good. Some good in it. Somehow, some way. And that's just kind of what I believe, at least in my philosophy of it. I have to go in a second, but I want to sort of close out with this point, which is that it's true for any of these things, any condition. Mm -hmm. There will be some small percentage of people who, where it's like just really like, just really debilitating, right? Yeah. But if the social structure changed, Mm-hmm. And all the other people, the vast majority of people who have these conditions, but they're really exacerbated by the world around them. If yes. the world was supportive of these conditions, right, or more accurately supportive of the people with these conditions, then we don't have to worry about all of them. Exactly. <laughs> so, like, they've got a job that works for them. They've got the the, the income they need. and. And they're not, you know, in a position where they have to do, you know, just sort of menial work, which stresses you out or, or, you know, whatever. Um, Then if it's, I don't know what the number would be, but let's just say it's 10%. If it's 10% Mm -hmm. of the people left, well, then we could focus everything on them. Exactly. Exactly. They don't even need the full-time care, right? Exactly. If all of the research and so forth went to the people in the most severe condition, Mm -hmm. We could figure it out. And if everybody else really had the support that they need, then we wouldn't really have to worry about it, right? I, uh, exactly. that's the way I think. I think it's true of also, yeah. it's true of just, it's not the same thing. And I don't want to conflate them. It's true of crime too, right? Yeah. Most of them is like yeah. opportunity. And if they had their opportunities, fine. And then there's like 2% of people who are just like, I like killing people. Like that's yep. not like, that's yep. not most people. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Exactly. You know, exactly. so, so yeah, and I mean, two percent of people who are doing stuff. I don't mean two percent of people in the world. Um, so anyway, all right, Sienna. So this was good. This was fun. Um, it'll be up at when is it? And later in June. Um, okay. and yeah, if you have any final thoughts for folks, um, you know, we'll certainly like to have you back as you go through your research. So uh, thanks yes. for being here. Thank you, and I look forward to coming back. I I really had a good time, and I like discussing with you. So I will be back. I'll be back. <laughs> All right. Recording stopped. All right. Cool. So I got to go, though. But yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. Okay. (laughs) Bye. Bye.